being a superintendent is anything but easy. Bureaucratic politics, having to work with multiple stakeholders, communicating a one-to-one -one plan to tens of thousands of students and teachers, heck, that's not a job that just anyone can do. In fact, that might be why the average district superintendent in America doesn't last longer than three years in the position. But when it comes to tenure, there's one notable exception, and that's Dallas Dance, the current superintendent of Baltimore County Public Schools. Dance is a relatively young superintendent in comparison to others. He's currently in his mid-30s, and he's been in the role for four years already. But that's not all. In September, Dance told board members that he wanted another four-year contract when his current contract ends on June 30th. Right now, the Baltimore community is wondering if the board will let him stick around. Will Dallas Dance get a new deal, reads one newspaper entry. Lucky for us, Mary Jo got a chance to sit down with Dallas back at the Inical conference in early November to learn about what can go wrong when communicating a rollout of technology and how a superintendent gets professional development. Yes, that's right, folks. Superintendents need PD, too. And companies, you'll want to listen in. Dance spills the beans, yes, he spills the beans, on what it really takes to sell edtech tools to superintendents. And with that, I'm Mary Jamata. And I'm Michael Winters. Welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast. Let's get started. Get ready, all you Java and Ruby-obsessed computer science educators. Computer Science Education Week and the Hour of Code are taking place from December 7th to the 13th. And to help you prep, we've shined up our EdSurge Teaching Kids to Code Guide, complete with more than 50 coding tools, a section on diversity and equal access to computer science, and several new hot coding articles. Our most popular one to date? Casey Bell, an educator and recent winner of a Digital Innovation and Learning Award, shares her beginner's guide to coding in the classroom. She's got recommendations on coding resources and lesson plans, professional development and school district partnerships, and ideas for getting girls more interested in coding. Arr, mateys! Udemy may have a piracy problem on its hands. Over the past couple of weeks, the marketplace for MOOCs has made headlines for hosting and selling pirated content. The issue came to light when a content creator for a rival MOOC site pointed out that his course had been uploaded without his permission to Udemy. The company's initial response drew criticism for not taking the issue seriously enough. CEO Dennis Yang later pledged to work to allow non-Udemy users to flag courses for possible abuse. And he said that the company will review its copyright processes. So not to hound on more company problems, but Google got in some hot water this week too. The company that literally wrote Don't Be Evil into its founding documents and has taken the student privacy pledge is, well, running afoul of privacy advocates. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, or the EFF, has filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission, charging that Google collects children's personal information through a default Chromebook feature that tracks and stores student activities on the web. Jonathan Rochelle, director of Google Apps for Education, has published a response stating that we are confident that our tools comply with both the law and our promises, including the student privacy pledge. One of the main purposes for Chrome Sync, he notes, is to allow students to access their Google Apps accounts on any Chromebook or Chrome browser within the school. Big news from Washington, D.C. this week. The House of Representatives passed the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESA, which revises the infamous No Child Left Behind laws. 
The bill will curtail the federal government's ability to push national standards like Common Core and also limits the power of the Secretary of Education. States will still be required to test math and English proficiency annually, but states will set their own measurements for success. The House passed the vote with 359 votes for and 64 against, and the bill now heads to the Senate. I think there's a Schoolhouse Rock song about what happens next if it passes the Senate. I think it goes, I'm just a bill. That one? Yes, I'm only a bill. Yeah, that one. It's a great song. But that's not all from Washington this week. Richard Kulata, director of the Office of Educational Technology at the U.S. Department of Education, is stepping down. Hey, first Arnie, now him. There you go. Kulata announced on December 2nd that he will leave his post at the end of the year. This was a very hard decision to make, he tells Ed Surge, but he's encouraged by the strong team underneath him and knows that his efforts will continue to progress despite his absence. His successor has not been picked yet. Joseph South, currently deputy director of the office and next down on the pecking order, may be tapped to fill Kulata's shoes. And now it's time for Kachings. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked financing, and uh, at least one big investment has happened in that time. Quizlet, which has been bootstrapped since 2005 and is currently a profitable company, has raised a Series A round of $12 million. Users create flashcards on Quizlet and can pay to remove ads and take advantage of premium features. Founder and CTO Andrew Sutherland told EdSurge that the company took the funding to help it accelerate its growth. The goal is to reach 1 billion students. In more recent funding news, StudyPool has raised an additional $800,000, which bumped its seed round, which was announced in March, past $2 million. StudyPool is part of the growing number of tutoring startups connecting students with tutors for on-demand help. Congratulations to them and to all of the other companies who raised money this week. you non-musical theater fans out there, that chipper tune is the leading song into the musical Hairspray, a 1960s take on dance music and rhythm and blues in Baltimore, Maryland. But despite its upbeat feeling, Hairspray offers a somewhat more honest portrayal of life in the Charm City. And as we found out from Superintendent Dallas Dance at the November Inacool Conference, working from Baltimore County Public Schools isn't always rainbows and sunshine. And being a superintendent is anything but an easy job in a place like Baltimore. So does one have to be a little bit crazy to stick it out and make it past the three-year mark that's so typical of most superintendents' track records? Sure. So you're right. So the average tenure for a superintendent is roughly three to five years. Um, Every year that goes down, up a little bit, just depending on trends. Um, But, you know, my dissertation was on school superintendent preparation. It really was. And so... um, Quite frankly, no superintendent has ever really gotten fired for academic achievement. Uh, It's usually a lack of communication. It's usually um, where the relationship goes sour with the Board of Education or the school board in some facet, um, or a lack of political acumen. Yeah, that's right. Dance has actually studied what it takes to keep superintendents around, so he knows what he's doing. It might not be that he's crazy to keep at it, but that he's been in the education game for quite a while. And even though he's only in his mid-30s, he's got a background that's well-prepared him for the role. 
I was. Uh, background's been uh, predominantly all in education. Um, however, going, before starting to teach, I was in business. So I used to work at Capital One uh, while I was in college and then ultimately right before I started teaching. But uh, I taught, was an assistant principal and a principal in Henrico County Public Schools, which is in Virginia. And that was uh, under Mark Edwards, who's now the superintendent of Mooresville Graded. Oh, down um, in uh, North Carolina? Yeah. yeah. So Mark uh, was a superintendent in Henrico County um, when I was a teacher and assistant principal there and then a principal. Um, I left there and went, became the assistant superintendent in Louisa County, which is a very small rural district right outside of Hanover County mm. um, in Virginia. About 5,000 uh, kids. Uh, it was five schools when I got there. It was six when I left. So very small, very rural, very tight-knit community. Left there and went for one year to Chesterfield County, where Marcus Newsom mm. is the superintendent who just announced his retirement and was the director of school um, improvement. So I worked with all the principles around school improvement planning, uh, focus on equity, focus on personal learning, all that. So uh, I was in Houston where I worked with the majority of the middle schools, alternative schools and charter schools for two and a half years with Terry. Mm. Um, Terry Greer, who's and, the current superintendent. Oh yeah, current superintendent yeah. Of, of HISD, he's the seventh largest in the country. And then they recruited me to Baltimore County. So again, all um, experience has been in education um, prior to, uh, uh, of course, before leaving at Capital One. All right, now let's get back to the meat of the conversation I had with Dallas, because I'm at Dallas at Inacol, which is an edtech-heavy conference that doesn't necessarily seem like the type of place a superintendent wants to really hang around. Superintendents have a lot on their plate. Board meetings, curriculum discussions, showing their face to as many district folks as possible. So should a superintendent really be focused on the tech piece? Doesn't he have administrators under him to do that for him? Dallas and I snuck into a corner restaurant at Inacole's so I could ask him point blank without anyone else around. Well, with the exception of the restaurant staff, of course, who was a bit confused as to why we were sitting in their empty restaurant before it had even opened. It's going to be about 15, 10, 15 minutes. I'm sorry. I'll give you $5. I'll buy... I'll buy a round of drinks for everybody. When I say everyone just us. Yeah, I don't think the waiter believed me. And he made Dallas and I laughed when he poured buckets of ice in the background during the interview. Oh, that'll be the loud noise that you hear, by the way. But either way, the waiter was kind enough to let us stay. So, back to Dallas. So, why was he at Inacol? I kept thinking, don't you have a board and employees who can find out about EdTech info for you? Is this just some fun networking event and a week in Orlando? I mean, let's be honest. Well, as I listen to him describe his district and his constituents, I realize that Dallas likes to stay close to the ground. For example, take communicating the expectations of a one-to-one -one program to a giant district like Baltimore County, which has more than 110,000 students. Dallas didn't just talk about getting administrators on board. He's cognizant of everyone and keeps everyone moving towards the same goal by supporting them in the best ways that he knows how. Oh, well, understand that if you don't communicate, you don't get the job done. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I think a large part of it, and I saw, sort of follow a four-year business model that looks at year one establishing relationships with people. So you talk about your values, your beliefs, but you establish relationships and you figure out what people want from you as a superintendent. Mm. Um, and so... I always got to remind people that when, when we do the work, we all have the same goal. We might differ on how we might go about achieving it, but we all have the same goal. Um, and so we go back to the fact that if we look at our strategic plan, it sort of drives what we're trying to do. We talked about going one-to-one -one in the plan. We might have to adjust the plan in terms of how we might get there, but ultimately our goal is to make sure 
we customize a learning experience for kids, and the only way we do that is through technology. Mm. Uh, what I find is that people push back a lot when they feel like they're not quite supported, mm. or they feel like they don't quite understand what you're trying to do and why. Mm -hmm. So that's all about the communication around what you're trying to do and why, building the case for awareness, but then building the case for, I'm going to communicate how we're supporting people through this change. So how might we do that? So in a system our size with 175 school centers and programs, the biggest level of communication has to be with your principals. Mm -hmm. So your principals the have principles to The principals are the key. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, if a parent is having a problem with their child's school, they're rarely going to come to me. They're going to go to the principal. If a parent wants to figure out how um, it might go about getting something done. They're going to go to the child's principal, not me. They care more about what's happening at the child's school than what's happening at the district, right? So how do I empower 175 principals to where they know what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it, and how we're going to support them in getting the work done? So every single month, we're meeting with them. We're talking about what we have going on. We have meetings where they visit each other in their environment. So as we scale this up, they're seeing their colleagues implemented in action. Uh, they tell me that they need support with, you know, a professional development teacher. We're able to do that um, along the work um, as well, too. Um, that seems like a lot of work for one superintendent and one district central office to achieve. So what's Dallas's general rule of thumb? Well, when you can't be everywhere physically, use technology. And in his case, he loves video. So in, in terms of communicating the principles, that's clearly every single month where we're doing that. Um, when you have 19,000 employees, how do you get the word out? We do it in a variety of different ways. One is the best approach is through videos. Videos? Yeah, so online videos? Online videos, whether it's professional development, really online videos with me. So I'm in the studio a lot. I'm in schools a lot, taping what we have going on, giving updates in terms of how we're progressing along the strategic plan, whether it's a monthly or quarterly update. Um, and we push that out to all of our employees. We push that out poorly to our kids. So our kids understand where we are in the strategic plan mm -hmm. and relative to them, what we need for them to understand and be doing as we're moving along this, this, this sort of pathway toward the realization of our goal. You can tell that Dance is passionate about his district, but whether he's got the love of all of his district members is another story. Now, that's something that's difficult for a superintendent. I mean, like we said before, in September, he told his board members that he wanted another four-year contract when his current one ends on June 30th. But will he get it? As of today, which is December 4th, that's not a definite answer. Yet, okay, whether or not he makes it, he's going to continue to push in his district for more personalized learning in his STAT program, which stands for Students and Teachers Accessing Tomorrow. It's basically a program designed to personalize learning over the course of several years. But we're not just talking about personalizing for students. Teachers, if they want to have personalized learning work in classrooms by using EdTech as a vehicle, they have to have real-time professional development, which means... You know, pulling teachers out of a building for one day ain't going to do it. You know, pulling teachers out for a week won't do it. They're going to need somebody who's there with them, walking them through it, modeling and coaching for them. And that's what we're seeing with our stat teachers. So um, during the 13-14 school year, we were able to reallocate positions within our budget to give every single school a full-time stat teacher. So this is a person who they don't evaluate. Their jobs is nothing but coach and mentor their colleagues. They sit down with grade levels, with departments, and they talk about how to actually look at lesson planning from a student-centered approach. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you look at lesson plans where students have choice and they have voice in the classroom, there's opportunity for self-reflection, there's opportunity for them to think and to work on P21 skills, and then we leverage technology in order to accomplish that goal where it's most appropriate. So that's where the personalization comes in. Teachers really aren't trained in that. Mm. 
Speaking of personalized learning, we know a lot of our listeners out there are companies. And while we had Dallas in our grasp, we thought, hey, we're going to throw you a little curveball. What, my dear friends, does it take to sell an EdTech product to, you guessed it, a superintendent? You know, what What sort of message do I need to put across in order to get it through the head of a district administrator that my product solves everything? Yeah. Or even just <laughs> get in the door. I'm sure you get press releases probably all the yeah. time, but what, what are your thoughts about that? So my, my, my first thing I would say is stop trying to sell to a superintendent. Um, because what you want to do is you want to build a relationship that actually helps that superintendent become one of his or her thought partners. Mm -hmm. So superintendents have many issues, many problems that keep them up at night. Um, regardless of what that issue is, you need to figure out how to develop a relationship through that school system strategic plan to help that superintendent solve his or her biggest problem. Mm -hmm. So prime example, I was talking to a vendor just two days ago, and they were saying, my problem is going to help you solve literacy. Well. You know, if your product can help me solve literacy, I want to hear more about it because that's one of my biggest problems. That's what you need. Exactly. So what you want to talk to me about is what's your biggest goal that you're trying to solve about literacy, right? So I would then come back and say third grade reading. That's it. But also it's kids when they go into middle school and they can't read, what interventions, they go into high school, what interventions they can't read. So then we might be talking about how you might be able to provide a service model that supports that. Mm. Not necessarily your product, but how might your company look about you know, helping us solve that problem. And then there may be synergy, there may not be synergy, but you know based on what's in my strategic plan that literacy is a big focus for us. But I know that you are interested in a relationship because I know you know that plan. Hear that, companies? It pays to know a district's plan. And if you haven't done your homework prior to chatting with the superintendent, well, oh, come on, entrepreneurs, you're in the education world. Doing homework is your second nature, or at least it should be. And who's one company that's done their homework and has captured the heart of Dallas Dance? We'll let him tell you. You know, I think right now, um, I think I'm really, really focusing on Dreambox learning. Really? Um, so um, for your listeners who don't know about Dreambox, Dreambox is this game-based personalized learning tool for math. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the state of Maryland and any state who's going toward new standards right now, all of us are worried around math. Well, if you ask Algebra 1 teachers what their issue is with students in mathematics, they'll say foundational math. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't teach a student foundational math before they leave elementary, it's kind of hard to take that approach in middle school. Mm -hmm. What Dreambox, what I've seen do, um, is create, make it very, very personalized for kids to where you can be in a class of 30. You might have a kid who's on a third grade math level. You might have one who's on a sixth grade math level. They all are growing, but they're all expected to reach the same goal. But you're not slowing a kid down in order to do that. In addition, what you find is that it's available 24-7 to young people too. So they're not just learning throughout the school day, they also are able to take that home as well too, which another problem that keeps me up tonight is, at night is this home internet access issue that oh, we're trying to solve. Oh, that's a whole other podcast um, topic. <laughs> but if that's the case then, how can you get kids growing and learning and catching up and accelerating quicker? Whereas you might have the kid who's in fifth grade on a third grade level, we still expect that kid to go into sixth grade on a sixth grade level, we need to accelerate their efforts quicker. I'm seeing that, uh, you know, some early results with Dreambox. By the time this podcast gets published, Dallas Dance's future may have already been decided. But whether or not he's superintendent, this one thing's for sure. He's not leaving education anytime soon. And he's got faith that technology can work in any place and for anyone. Whether you're a fan or not, we gotta give this superintendent, who often goes by S. Dallas Dance, some kudos. And for the life of us, we've never known what that S stands for. But thanks to Dallas, we got some insight. 
Uh, real quick, what does the S stand for in your name? <laughs> it stands for Sean. It stands for Sean. But it's Sean with a U. Sean Not with a, a U. Not a W or S-E-A-N. It's S-H-A-U-N. Okay, now that's crazy. I couldn't have even predicted that if Absolutely. I tried. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. No, thanks, Mary Jo. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Mr. Dallas Dance for hopping on the show with us today. And also thanks to Manuel Andre, Casey Bell, and all of the other writers who contributed to Ed Surge this week. Also this week, Ed Surge just kicked off a brand new project, and we need your help to get it started. Over the next year, we'll be running a project on the state of education technology and student-centered learning. Over several installments, we're aiming to chronicle the contexts, opportunities, and challenges of creating and using tech in U.S. K-12 schools. To get started, we want to hear from you about what you think are the biggest trends and events in EdTech this year. Just head to the link in our show notes and take our two-minute EdTech pulse check. Trust us, do it. It is such a fun survey. It's kind of fun to think back on everything that happened this year. Huh? I love it. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening. If you liked what you heard today, there's plenty, plenty more where it came from. Head into your podcast feed to hear interviews with many other EdTech celebrities, all about how teachers are using Minecraft in the classroom, and many, many others. All right, that's it. I'm Michael Winters. And I'm Mary Jo Matta. We'll see you next week. This is the EdSearch Podcast.